You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Thomas Schletzer. Thomas, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you. Thomas, we're talking on the occasion of uh, Anna Eva Bergman's show at, at the gallery at, at Perkton, Revelation, and I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about this and, uh, and a little about her work, and part of this, of course, is that she's not an artist that many people know of, and so um, this exhibit, as well as two upcoming museum exhibits, will, will change that. I'm, I'm talking to you as a, as a curator and a director of, um, of the Hans Hartung and Anna Eva Bergman Foundation. Can you first tell me a little bit about the foundation? Her, her history is fascinating, but I, I got particularly interested when I saw also images of, of the home that they had that was a private villa that, um, that seemed to say so much perhaps about how she was working. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that home and how it affected her work or yeah. shaped Anna Eva Bergman's work? Yes, of course. Yeah, this is true that this is a, a fantastic place because, you know, this is in south of France on the Riviera. Uh, this is a, a house um, which has been built among uh, an olive tree field uh, under the blue sky of the Riviera. Um, everything is very pure. Uh, the architecture is very, very pure. And the architecture has been uh, taught and, uh, and designed by uh, Ansartung himself with the collaboration of Anaeva. And this is a kind of little utopia uh, in the south of France. There is a beautiful swimming pool. There are two magnificent studios and uh, uh, a permanent connection between nature and um, the, the interior spaces. And I think this is a, a major thing to approach Anaeva Bergman. Anaiva Bergman is uh, always uh, uh, thinking um, a heart, um, like a balance between nature, the universe, and uh, inner uh, universe, a soul. And, and, and I want to talk about that kind of relationship. So in, in terms of her work and, and what we're seeing in the, in the current show, um, Revelation, um, does that, do you feel that that show also addresses this? There's other issues in her work I want to talk about, but the relationship that you're talking about between, um, between the land, and um, is that also evident in the work shown? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to, to, uh, to, to show that uh, uh, Anava Bergman um, is really concerned by abstraction. She's, she's focused on abstraction. But uh, in the other end, she's always, absolutely always connected with nature. And uh, once again, this is a, a, a balance between those two poles. And that's really the, 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 key, uh, the key aspect of her work. And I hope this is, uh, this is uh, um, visible when, uh, when you are in, in the show at the Perrotin Gallery. So let's talk about that relationship because, um, you know, you've also talked about, you know, her, her art reflecting a kind of return to zero, right? Which is, yeah. uh, you know, uh, a, way of, a way of working, but it also reflects her early 
struggles in life. Um, can we talk about that a little bit, this return to zero as it relates also to, um, you know, a kind of not just a mythology, but also uh, a, a number of things that come into her work. Again, the, the show's title, Revelation, you know, points also to, to mystical concerns, right? So yeah. if we can jump into that a little bit with this idea of, of what a return to zero means in that context. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's say first that uh, she was uh, absolutely uh, traumatized and uh, disgusted by World War II. World War II was a real trauma for her. And uh, I think there are two parts in the life of Anaiva Bergman. The first part is, uh, is uh, a life of, um, of someone who is young, who is really happy, and uh, uh, who wants to, to experiment a lot of, of, of things. But after World War II, Bergman became more serious, uh, more spiritual, more mystical, and uh, she decided to, 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 to come back to a uh, to zero. Uh, it, it means that in her heart uh, she, she left um, uh, a, a practice of, uh, of drawing and uh, of caricature uh, and uh, she, she began to uh, create very informal and very abstract shapes. And, um, and that was really a big, big uh, shift in her life. Uh, I think there is a continuity between those two parts, but obviously they are very, very different. And uh, I have to add that uh, in, uh, in the show at the Perotin Galerie, uh, we focus on the second part of, uh, of this life, and we begin with uh, the experimental um, moment of um, the, the 50s uh, with very simple shapes of stones, of pebbles, uh, and, and which are really the, the beginning of uh, of an uh, abstract uh, of a painter career. And then what happens next in, in the painter career? And in this show, there's um, small golden fire on black. Is that what you would consider as next? Because that's, of course, something very different than the yeah. the early composition you talked about in 1952. The small golden fire on black were... Or something in a whole different, a whole different yeah, world the, here, right? Yeah, you know, this is very interesting because uh, uh, at the beginning uh, she she is very uh, very strict with black and white uh, uh, drawings, uh, which are really the genesis of uh, of her art. And after that, uh, she um, she experimented uh, a lot of uh, of techniques, and especially. The, the golden leaf and the silver leaf. Uh, and um, of course, uh, the, 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 pain, the, the paintings uh, with those kinds of, of techniques are uh, extremely, uh, uh, extremely brilliant and they, they convey a lot, of, uh, um, a lot of energy, a lot of vitality. Uh, so that um, uh, when you are in the, in the gallery, uh, when you pass from the first room to the second room, you have the impression that uh, uh, the, the light is, is suddenly on, you know? Hmm. Because, of, because of the great amount of light that's coming off the, 
the gold leaf. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So this particular work marks marks quite a departure, right? Because this is also uh, seems to have some, uh, you know, pointers towards alchemy and talking about uh, a type of spirituality in a way that um, that is that is specific to a to a kind of reading of of history and alchemy, isn't it? Or or does that not quite figure into this particular work? Yeah, yeah. In, in after after World War II, Bergman became nearly religious. I wouldn't say exactly religious because she's not a, a Christian or, or a Jewish, but uh, uh, she she said that uh, uh, she was uh, always in in connection with the spirituality, and uh, sometimes she she had the impression uh, to uh, to to receive messages. Uh, from the sky, uh, uh, and and she had uh, even um, an experience uh, when she uh, had the impression to be in front of uh, of, of God, you know. So um, that was a, a major part of uh, of uh, of her influence, and uh, and I think we can feel it in uh, in front of a painting. Uh, especially because there is a connection uh, between uh, her paintings and the paintings of the rebirth. For example, the paintings of Frangelico. Frangelico was for Bergman uh, a very, very important discovery. And uh, she, she said about him uh, that uh, uh, that was a, a favorite artist in art history. Uh, so that the mystical, the spiritual aspect uh, really is, uh, is always present in a work. That's so interesting that Fra Angelico was her favorite artist. You know, there's um, something about that work that seems to relate to certain artists, uh, you know, throughout history, um, contemporary artists as too. Uh, I remember seeing his, uh, the Fra Angelico frescoes in, in, in Fiesole, and there, there's something... Um, there's something uh, almost unearthly about them, a little, a little, a little magical almost. I remember yeah. myself being there, and, and you see a lot of tourists coming through, and the tourists are coming through, and they're taking picture after picture of each monk's cell. And I remember seeing some tourists suddenly stop and lower their camera because the, the paintings are, 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 are somehow mystifying, and it's hard to even understand what's happening, even though these are mostly you know, Stations of the Cross, but, but there's something um, kind of otherworldly about them, isn't there? I mean, what do you think her relationship was to those? Because those are, it's a, he's an extraordinary painter, was an extraordinary painter. That, that, that's very, very interesting. And, and I think, uh, moreover, that when uh, Anaïva Bergman uh, were speaking about art with a contemporary artist, uh, like Ansartung, of course, but, uh, like Pierre Soulages or like uh, Marc Roscoe, uh, she was speaking uh, about ancient art. Uh, in reality, we have to keep in mind that between uh, artists, uh, the, the models remain uh, old masters and not really uh, artists of, of their time. Um, it doesn't mean that Bergman was uh, uh, completely blind uh, concerning uh, artists of the time. And of course, uh, she was full of admiration, for example, for Marcosco or for Adraina. So that uh, uh, this is a mix of uh, influence, but it is true that uh, for her, 
the, the, the major uh, part of, of a taste. Uh, this is rebirth and this is uh, artist of the, of the Middle Age and uh, of uh, uh, the Italian Renaissance. And was that reflected in other parts of, of her collection that, that is now, as I understand it, at the foundation? Because there was also an extraordinary collection there of contemporary artists uh, that she was collecting. No, it, it, it used to be, but there is no more, um, unfortunately, uh, artist of uh, own collection. Um, uh, we, we, we just uh, still preserve some uh, gifts of uh, some of her friends, uh, like the artisterias, but honestly, this is, uh, this is not uh, uh, extremely exciting. And, but those, but the, 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 nevertheless, they had a connection, as you're saying, she had a connection to contemporary art. So the work that they, yeah. that they collected were of, of friends, it's just that it was... Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, 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 in their collection, there, there were, for example, uh, paintings of uh, Picasso, uh, of Zawuki, uh, of uh, Alberto Magnelli, uh, of Pierre Soulage, of course, who was a, a very close friend of Ernst uh, Sartungen and Eva Bergman, uh, so that she was surrounded by, by uh, some, some of her contemporaries. But uh, you have to know that uh, uh, Anna Eva Bergman uh, didn't want to have pictures uh, on the wall uh, of uh, an apartment in Paris or in a, of a house in, uh, in Antibes. So that the, the, the the walls uh, remained uh, blank uh, without anything. Uh, so she, she was in connection with uh, the artist of her time, but uh, when she was uh, living in her own world, she, she didn't want uh, to, to be uh, haunted by them. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I, I saw that when I was looking at the house on Antilles, that there's nothing on the walls, which, you know, in, in one way makes makes sense but is um is so eccentric on its own i i want to talk a little more about anna even uh bergman later work because the the show is is almost a survey of work right it, it goes up to 1986 um yeah, a piece called uh, number 30 which which looks almost like a like a volcano but but a very powerful piece of work um can can we talk about that in terms of yeah, yeah where that where that came from sure this is this is this is incredible uh, to to uh, to see that uh, uh, the power of an artist uh, can really uh, express itself very very late. Uh, in a way, that was very long for Anna Bergman to become young. Uh, she was an old artist before becoming uh, a young artist, and at the end of her life. She's really a young artist. And that's very moving, you know, because uh, she was old, she was alone, she was sick, um, and she was uh, really, uh, really denied by, uh, by the public and by the, the critics. But uh, in, uh, in another hand, she was completely free to do what she wanted to do. Uh, so that the, the last part of her career uh, is really uh, a climax in uh, art history. Uh, everything is extremely pure, uh, with uh, only the, the sense, uh, the perfect sense, the perfect, uh, um, uh, how could we say, 
the perfect proportion of flies. Uh, and uh, there, is, uh, there is something which is extremely simple, but very powerful. Uh, and um, and you know the the colors are are gray are blue uh, something a bit cold but uh, but uh, with a, a great vitality uh, as well. And, and I, I so agree the line the quality the way she's applying paint you know is is is, is quite amazing in these in these late works. You're talking about a kind of youth that's almost come back to her in, in, in this you know, unusual stage of her life. I know uh, Edward Said, I mean, you're an art historian, so looking at, at her yeah. work this way, you know, there's a, is, is there almost what you'd call a late style? That wasn't an Edward Said book quite a while ago, but this idea of artists developing a, uh, a type of style that's, that's um, it's particular to to a mature career where, as you're saying, there's a freedom that she hadn't experienced before, perhaps, and a maturity that uh, allows work to be created that could not have been created when they were young. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's absolutely correct, and that's very interesting. Uh, I wasn't aware of the connection with uh, Edouard Said, but it makes sense, and uh, that's very, very relevant. Uh, I, I would add, uh, if I can, that... Uh, Anaeva Bergman, at the end of her life, because she was alone and because she suffered a lot uh, from uh, health problems, uh, she was a big, big drinker. She was alcoholic. And uh, she was able to overpass uh, this uh, major problem by uh, creating those kinds of very pure and simple works. And... Uh, uh, I think this is this is nearly a lesson of life, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so interesting, and and so um, yeah, I, I'm excited about this show, and also about the fact that you know, given that she had so little attention, there's also these two museum exhibitions coming up. So yeah. yeah. To speak from your own, this is this is very exciting for you. It's exciting for the world. Um, and, and also, unfortunate that it took so long to come to this to this point. How do you feel it's it's going to be received? Or, or maybe we should just talk about the two museum shows a little bit in the context of what is her her posthumous career. This is an enormous <laughs> moment for for her, right? As you said, this is uh, very very exciting. But of course, as you can imagine, for me and for the foundation, uh, <laughs> this is. <laughs> <laughs> a bit uh, scary because uh, we are we are uh, we are afraid of, of this uh, very crucial moment. Of course, I hope this will be a, a success, and I hope that uh, the public will be able to feel Anaiva Bergman as I can feel her. Um, I have to to say that uh, two years ago, um, uh, a fabulous exhibition took place uh, at the Reina Sofia Museum in Spain. And uh, unfortunately, that was uh, during uh, the, the the pandemic, so that uh, uh, that was <laughs> that was not a public success. But um, next uh, next April uh, there will be the show in Paris, uh, and then in autumn there will be the show in Norway uh, at the National Gallery of Oslo. 
I think I think I am I, I am pretty confident. I think that this will be the true revelation of an Ivar Bergman. Uh, you know that was difficult for her to be well known uh, before because uh, there are very few works and there are very few works in public collections. So that for for a, a large audience, this is impossible to to know her. Uh, and uh, thanks to those two uh, exhibitions, uh, I think that this. Uh, this injustice will be uh, will be uh, fixed <laughs> for the for the coming years. Well, that must be as a, as a curator and art historian uh, a particular pleasure because there are artists, you know, like Anna Eva, that have been overlooked, and 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 it takes um, a foundation and a, and a historian often to to open our eyes to this. And as, as you're saying, uh, you know, it's a if that's where this is coming from. Uh, a revelation to some extent that, that yeah. this is an extraordinary artist that has been overlooked. This is a, uh, this continues to happen, yeah. right? And, and is yeah. hopefully the, the fertile you, ground you, that, that, yeah. You're right. You're right. I, I feel, you know, I feel a very lucky man, a very lucky art historian because when I, I fell on an Iva Bergman, when I felt on an Iva Bergman uh, a few years ago, I was absolutely sure that she, she was a, a huge artist of the 20th century, but uh, that uh, everybody was a bit blind. And uh, now this is both very challenging and very exciting to, to, uh, uh, to see uh, how much uh, she can be uh, uh, appreciated by a larger audience. But once again, I have to stress that uh, this is only the beginning, I hope. This is uh, only the beginning and not the end of the, the story. And uh, if you permit a more personal word, um, day after day, uh, I feel uh, her uh, uh, next, to, next to me, <laughs> just behind my shoulder. And, uh, and uh, I think she, she's uh, really happy to, to, to see that... Uh, uh, after so many hurdles in her life, so, so many bad events, uh, at last uh, there is something like a kind of recognition for her. Yes, that's so important. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. And I, I want to ask you one last question off topic, which is I'm always curious what, what you're reading at the moment. I mean, perhaps it's a beautiful catalog of her work, but... Uh, which I have, but what are, what are you reading at the moment? What am I reading, personally? Yes. <laughs> That's a, a very funny question. I am yeah, reading, it's an off-topic uh, question. I'm, I'm always curious. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, am, I am reading uh, a novel uh, that uh, uh, I should have read a long time ago. Uh, this is La Sommoire by uh, Emile Zola and uh, this is a, a novel uh, about uh, the problems of uh, alcohol uh, in the second part of the 19th century. Uh, this is a novel which is very close in, in its style to, uh, uh, to Charles Dickens, for example. And uh, as you know, Emile Zola is one of our more uh, important writers of the 19th century. And that's, uh, that's just extraordinary. And, and that's funny because uh, I have the impression that uh, the books um, that we are supposed to, to read 
when we are young. This is really better to read them when we are elder because we, we understand them uh, fully <laughs> and uh, we, are, uh, we are more able to, uh, to feel uh, the genius of, uh, of our great writers. So that's a fantastic pleasure. La Sommoire by Emile Zola. Thank you so much, Thomas. And I want to thank you for talking with me today and, of course, wish you well on the show that's now up, which there are links to here at Periton. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>